Welcome to the Data Guru Podcast. We're your hosts, Scarlett Burks and Laurel Wilhelm Volpe. We will trade off hosting duties this year to bring you a wide range of data experts discussing audience strategy, emerging trends, and practical ways to boost campaign performance. Hi, welcome to this episode of the Data Guru Podcast. I'm Scarlett Burks, and I did two things preparing for this podcast today. I gave myself permission to watch previews of the Super Bowl ads, because why not? We'll circle back to that topic later. The second thing I did was Google data strategy. May I say there was no shortage of definitions for data strategy or how to build one. But my podcast guests today are even better than Google. They can take data strategy down to the real-life practices that make a difference in campaign performance. As always, Chief Data Guru Linda Harrison joins us for the podcast, and we're also excited to have Axiom newcomer Jeff Patterson, Director of Data Strategy, with us as well. Welcome to you both. Hey, thanks, Scarlett. Thank you. Jeff, I love that you called yourself a student of data on LinkedIn and talked about how you collected, captured, and cataloged data points on everything as a kid. Not to judge, but I think that implies you were a data geek from a very early age. (laughs) Give us a snapshot of your background and tell us how you came to be in your role at Axiom today. Yeah, well, since I was a little kid, I've I don't think I realized it was data, right? Like, I, you know, that was the late 70s and early 80s. But uh, I loved baseball. I loved baseball cards, but I'm not really like the graphics. That wasn't my thing. It was the stats and taking those stats, creating new ones. I ended up kind of turning that into game design over time. Um, so always kind of had data in mind before I really knew it was data. And I guess that's probably what led me to my career. You know, I started off in the 90s at a company called ALC or American List Council, now Adstra. Got a really good education on data from a lot of experts, you know, who had been doing it a lot longer than than I had. Um, compilation. Later went to PMX, now Assembly Global on the agency side. I was there for 17 years. I ran my own agency internally, part of product and ran product, part of the analytics team part of the digital team before I headed off to one of our competitors, Data Axel, and got a pretty good education there as well. More on the sales side than anything, which is something that I never really had as part of my resume. Really never had as part of my resume. And uh, spent a little time in between there and and Axiom playing with data clean rooms at LiveRamp. I feel like all the things I've done led me to to this role and being able to jump in and, and contribute really quickly. Awesome. So you like data before data was cool. I'm not like saying data. I was cool. <laughs> Let's just I think put that uh... <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's fair to say we've been around this industry for a while, a few decades, at least for all of us. So, Jeff, what is the biggest change you've seen? And then on the flip side, what has consistently stayed the same? Well, I think, you know, if we just think about channels from, you know, that perspective, that's the biggest change. You know, if I think back to to the 90s, we really had three things that we were working on at that point in time. It was direct mail. I didn't really play an insert or print, but those were the three primary channels. Email still wasn't a big thing. So obviously, since then, we've had a, a pretty pretty solid run of, of new channels, whether that's display, social, you know, CTV, OTT. Um, whatever's going to come in the next couple years. Um, but one thing that hasn't changed, it is data itself, right? The privacy around it's changed. But all the stuff I learned back then still applies now. I still put a lot of those same practices into play. Uh, and I think in all honesty, coming up at that point in the industry, 
I got such a good education on data, and I don't know if that always carries over to all the companies that we work with. We looked at it in such a different way, I feel, at times. Not so much here at Axiom, but if we think broader, data sets have gotten a lot more broad in nature, in my opinion, and how we use it with audiences moving away from lists. But the crux of data, how we use it, how we deploy it, why it's so important in the overall mix, I think all that stuff's still the same. Linda, anything different you would add in terms of change? Well, I'll agree that the old days taught us a lot about analytics, about finding the right people. That's the part that hasn't changed, right? That I'm still, no matter what channel, I care about finding the right person for the right thing. And how I do it, where I do it has changed, how much I pay for it, do I pay for it? Things like that yes. have changed. And how I'm retargeted, remarketed over time, that has all changed. But really, the whole industry is finding the right person. It all comes back to that. <laughs> so, Jeff, you've worked across numerous industries and you focused on about every channel campaign type. What's your process for helping a client find and match the right tactics to the objectives they want to achieve? Yeah, I think when, when I kind of first meet a client and we start to work together, um, what are your goals? What are your budgets? You know, what do we have to work with right at that sort of starting point? Once I get a little deeper on that and have an understanding, I want to talk about KPIs. So how are we going to judge this campaign or these campaigns that we're going to run and put together? I like to then move over to audience development. You know, thinking one about what are the campaign goals? You know, structurally, what are we building? I want to, to then take those insights into how we build audiences. And that could be in part how we ask for data, if we're going to do some models or, you know, do a data portrait analysis just to get better insights from a Boolean segmentation perspective. But I think that's all super important um, in how we cut that initial file to build those audiences off of. I like when I can to have those conversations around creative to make sure that the offered audience messaging strategies tie up and link together and we're not off anywhere. And then I just like to see it through deployment and have a hand in the measurement as well. Not from a grade our own work kind of play, but just to ensure the measurements done properly so that whatever we learn from that campaign, we can feel good about those findings so that we can kind of, uh, you know, continue to move that forward. Um, make the edits we need to make, um, you know, continue testing, beating controls, et cetera. So I take a pretty structured approach. Yeah, I couldn't say more knowing the KPIs, what success from the client is such a key care about that we tend to just gloss right over, right? It's just, let's get going instead of, yep. What's a win? I, I agree, Linda. And, you know, I think that's also where, you know, us doing a little bit of work to understand those KPIs, put together some figures on expected response rates, conversion rates, to make sure that we even have a shot to hit, you know, their, their goals and targets. I don't think any of us want to put the time and effort in for a one-off, right? Like we're looking to work with someone for a long time, do great work, iterative work, um, you know, and it, it has to be something that we feel good about being able to accomplish. Otherwise, we're just wasting everybody's time and me. Uh, and, and that, though, sometimes leads to better questions. Uh, why are those your goals and where did those KPIs come from? I think about different markets and what those KPIs look like and what they're looking to get back and how LTV doesn't or does factor into that. So many questions. 
And I think it's really imperative to spend the time up front with whomever we're working with, agency or brand, to understand that, to put the whole package together. Yeah, so I've been working a lot with our product email connections, formerly known as e-prospecting. And the qualification process is critical because you want to make sure that at the end of the day, you're moving the needle. I don't do as well selling bubble gum on an email campaign or a direct mail campaign, right? And I've had people ask me to do a bubble gum campaign digitally to people who don't chew very much gum. And I thought, you know, I chew a lot of gum, at least till I got braces. I chew, I would <laughs> chew, now they won't let me. But yeah. I chewed, I don't know, 15, 20 pieces a day. I mean, I'm in the high heavy user. To get me to buy more gum was a heck of a lot easier than to get the non-gum chewer to start. So you have to balance those rewards of moving the needle, getting lifetime value, encouraging new versus pushing up a layer of people who are already using your product. I love that. Y'all's conversation gives me a perfect uh, word picture of sitting in front of a control panel with all these different levers you can adjust to get to, like you said, to that ultimate destination. What's that, what's that win for the, for the marketer? So Jeff, when I think about millennials and Gen Z, my kids, who have grown up with technology as a constant presence in their hands and lives compared to my mom, who still wants to know if it's okay to order something online using her credit card. How drastically do you see tactics change when marketing to different age groups? Uh, they are pretty drastic, but at the same point in time, I think the one thing that you know, the smartest brands get is that you can't treat everyone in a generation the same. Like it, it's a good qualifier, but you know, I can even think about myself and my brother. We're less than three years apart. You know, my sort of aptitude for technology is significantly higher than his. Um, and the same thing with, you know, if we look at the boomer population, they're not all the same. You know, some of them are incredibly advanced with technology, more so than Gen Zs or millennials. So I think we have to factor all that data in. It's almost like when you think about the importance of identity um, and how that can, can tie all the pieces together, you know, within that CRM or within that CDP. That's incredibly important. When you have all those kinds of signals and insights, you can think differently about someone. I would definitely caution against generational marketing as a whole and just using it as your persona only. But certainly from a creative messaging standpoint and language, there are things going to connect a lot better with Gen Zs than they are Gen Xers or Boomers or whomever, just because we do speak a little bit different language. But I certainly would caution against making broad swatches of beliefs because you're going to get burned eventually with that. And that's why we use a lot more data than just one data point typically to come up with segmentation strategies. Yeah, I agree. Right. There's, there's psychographics, there's early adoption, um, technology stages. You know, my husband's not that much different in age for me, but I'm totally the IT specialist at the house. And even for my daughter, who is in Gen Z, right? She's like, would you fix this mom? And I'm like, yeah, I got you, right? So we've got to use more analytics, more data, big data to figure out really who's in market or the product or service that's going to fit that person and to not talk down to me just because of my age. Right, right. Yes, that 
that tech savvy boomer can uh, be completely different from, you know, the Gen X that, yeah, like you said, you know, doesn't have much of an aptitude for technology at all. All right, Linda, is there anything new you can share from Axiom's data and services toolkit to help advertisers deliver more relevant experiences? We've got more and more analytics on our side. I'm really working with the analytics team on making them more robust, uh, easier to get to at Axiom, remove some of those barriers, help our sales team find the right opportunity for our client so that we really dig deep and find what's going to work for them. So we're doing more analytics, more models, more data portrait analysis. And Jeff has brought to me a whole bunch of calculators. So uh-huh. <laughs> he's good at math. But so like we've talked about being able to understand what is it going to take to make this campaign work for you? Where's your bottom line? What's your incremental return on ad spend that you need to have happen? And what would we have to have to make that go through, right? I had a client come to me and say, if you can double the return, I'll do it. I was like, I don't know. We're not changing anything, but switching to Axiom. You're bringing your own creative. You're bringing your own segmentation. All it is, is my team doing the work. That's a push, right? I mean, we're good, but you have to let me change another attribute in order to make it happen. So we're really being fundamental in the analysis portion and making sure that we're going to make the right choice for you and your clients. Jeff, we like a guy who's good at math and can use Boolean in a sentence. I just have to tell you that. (laughs) So Jeff, if an advertiser told you they didn't know where to start to improve campaign performance, what would you advise them are the three first and most important steps? Yeah, I mean, it's a great, great question because we hear it pretty much every day. Uh, And I think, you know, the first step in that process is to dig in and what's, what did you do? Let's look at the creative Let's look at the audience. Let's look at the channel or channels that they deployed in. Um, get a sense for for what was done. Uh, I think then it's sort of uh, you know we take data in, or I would like to take data in to get a sense of who their customers really are. Because what I find typically when when someone has a poor campaign, you know there was just something something was off in it, and typically it starts with audience or, or creative. It's one of those two things almost all the time. So I would like to get under the hood and understand that, you know, and again, keep being cautious not to like tear apart what they've done, but just show them how we could do this better through analytics, through strategy, you know, through data, really. How can we how can we come up with a better process here? Um, And whether that's, uh, you know, us kind of handling everything or just having a seat at the table. Um, But I really want to make sure that channels married in so. Again, kind of back to if we're going to build a model and build some custom audiences for them, let's have a seat at the table around what they send us. You know, a lot of times we just we're just so happy to get data in, but data is not created equally. And if we're trying to accomplish, you know, let's say we only want to go after those very, very high value customers, but they send us a cross section of their database. That's not a, a helpful way to do it, right? Like what I want to see is, well, how do you define those customers? And let's cu- take a cut of them so we can start with the right audience and build the right audience. You know, because a, a lot of times it's, 
limited resources. So if you can get a tech person to pull data for you, you know, you take whatever they send, but that's not the best way when you're talking about the kinds of investments that marketers are putting into these programs. So I really would just pull it apart and kind of rethink it, um, make sure that structurally there was nothing wrong. Um, and if there is kind of just show them the light and how can we get, you know, to that next phase where we have a successful campaign that we can start to build on and improve from. But also, you know, the other side of it, the, the biggest question or, or two biggest questions, were your KPIs logical? So did they really make sense? Were you ever going to be able to hit those KPIs from a starting point? You know, and then back to measurement. How, how did you measure this campaign? And was that really a best practice? Um, or did we miss a whole lot of conversions that really made this campaign look poor, but was really actually a strong campaign if, if, if you know, a different measurement process was put into place. Yeah, you can't rely on QR codes alone, right? Or on personalized, unique links, right? That's not going to be the end of the day. People could come into your store, they could go to the website naturally, things like that. So you can't count just one or a coupon code. You can't just count it one way. You have to look at the whole compared to a control file, a true control file that's representative in nature. You know, and that's a, a good point, Linda. And I think back to one time, you know, something similar, you know, happened and you know, I said, okay, let's, let's get to the bottom of this. But, you know, first, how did you, how'd you run your, your measurement? And they ran it in Excel and it was just exact matches. Like, and if you think about Jeff Patterson, like I can show up as Jeff, Jeffrey, JP, the way they ran it didn't account for any of that. It had to have everything exact. So, of course, the measurement looked horrible because there was no fuzzy logic baked into that. Nothing else was taken into account. So we see all, all sorts of reasons why campaigns either don't perform or appear to not perform. So I think that's our goal is to get to the bottom of it. You know, a little bit of investigative work. And helping, helping them take that holistic view. I like that. All right. Well, I, I had a big milestone yesterday, you guys. I connected on LinkedIn with my middle child. <laughs> they must not have known up. it was you. They didn't know it was you. <laughs> no, no, actually, he told he gave me permission, <laughs> but he hadn't put his photo on there yet. So <laughs> I was like, did I did I get the right person? Yeah, uh, but he has uh, he's the kid that has the finish line in sight for college, uh, thus the LinkedIn profile and applying for internships. But I have another uh, younger one who is deciding where she will go and what major she will choose for college. I find myself talking about computer science statistics a lot. Uh, what guidance would both of you give to millennials and Gen Z entering the workforce about dipping their toe into this industry we work in? I'd say it's a lot of fun. <laughs> that we do have a good time, don't we, Linda? <laughs> we do. And... You get to reinvent yourself with data and statistics because things change a lot. I don't think there's another industry that changes as quickly and in unforeseen methods. So I think it gives them a, a broader idea of where they want to go next. How about you, Jeff? What I would say, I, I think, and so I have an 11 year old nephew or soon to be 11 year old nephew. I don't have kids of my own. Um, and he has 
a really high aptitude for math. So I've been talking to him about data science. There's an unbelievable shortage of data scientists out there. I think it's a phenomenal career. And if you can kind of dual track it with some kind of technology field, you know, whether that's, you know, computer science or, or whatever it is, I think that can put together some pretty amazing tools for that person for the future. When you think about where data science is going, what data scientists have to know about their tech stacks, um, you know, and that I, I think that's where I would push a kid with the right aptitude for that. But I do love this industry. I wouldn't want to work in any other. As much as I, I think the client side's interesting, we get to do something different every single day, you know, on our team. We get to work across pretty much every vertical, um, touch all the products. It's really, you know, so it is fun for the right kind of person. You know, you got to be a little nerdy probably, but, uh, you know, if, if you sit in that space, I think it's a great career. I agree. I've been at Axiom a long time and people will say, oh, how have you been there that long? And I'm like, but it, it hasn't felt like working at the same company the whole time just because of what, what both of you said. The the industry, the technology, the the people, the channels have all changed so much. It's It's uh, been quite the ride. So back to those Super Bowl ads I mentioned earlier, when I was previewing some of the ads that had been released early, I saw that the theme for this year is definitely bring on the celebrities. Miles Teller, Nick Jonas, Megan Trainer, Sylvester Stallone, Steve Martin, and even Elton John got into the act for Doritos. Are there any you have had a chance to see and give us thoughts on what the brand's data strategy might have been? Linda, you want to go first? I looked at the booking.com with Melissa McCarthy, yes. and I thought that was very humorous. And of course, at the end, she goes, as long as they have childcare, that she wants to go anywhere as long as yeah. they have childcare, which is funny, but it doesn't resonate with everyone, right? I right. want to go where you don't need childcare because I want a adults only vacation. Mm -hmm. But it yeah. does bring up that whole idea of adults only in a way too. And then uh, I also liked the workday ad with Kiss and with Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, yeah. And that everybody's a rock star. And you can't be a rock star. They are the real rock stars. But you know what? We're also rock stars. <laughs> there you go. I mean, I don't know what their segmentation strategy is, but I found those uh, the most humorous and in touch with my timelines. Yeah. Jeff, did yeah. you see any of them? You probably just watched all the beer ads. I, I have not. I have not <laughs> watched a single ad. I do my best every year not to and kind of take them in during the game um, and, and keep a count of uh, what I liked and what I didn't like. But I try not to, uh, to see any of those. So I, I, if I have seen them, I didn't recognize them as Super Bowl ads yet. So I, I guess we'll just wait for Sunday to, uh, to get in and see uh, who the big winners and losers are. Well, there you go. That brings us to our wrap-up question, Jeff. Who's your pick for the Super Bowl on Sunday? As a uh, Steelers and Giants household, I just can't say the Eagles. So sorry to all. I love Philadelphia, but uh, I'm going to have to go with the Chiefs. What about you, Linda? Yeah, I'd I'd prefer it if the Chiefs won, but you know, at the end of the day, it, it doesn't really change my life. Just saying, and <laughs> well, they don't know if I'm I, cheering for them or anything. <laughs> 
Yes, I would agree. I'm not super invested, but I do like Patrick Mahomes. So I would I would make it unanimous for the Chiefs on, on this podcast. It'd be fun to see him uh, win with, uh, you know, with a little bit of hobble in him still. But uh, it's I think it's going to be a great game. Yes. Well, we it was heavily rumored that Traylon Burks from uh, the Arkansas Razorbacks was going to go to the Chiefs at one point. So very sad that that didn't happen and we don't get to cheer for him. But anyway, by the time this podcast is released, we'll know the final score of the game and how good all of our instincts were. Thanks so much for the conversation, Jeff and Linda. For our listeners, you can find all our Data Guru podcast episodes on your favorite podcast player or at Axiom.com. 